This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, thank you for being with me. I know this is a departure from our usual analysis of uh, murder trials and high stakes games lawyers play in court, uh, criminal investigations. I want to talk to you about an investigation of a different sort. I want to talk to you about the truth of the Shroud of Turin. And I'll tell you why. Because today... A phenomenal book has hit the market. I already got up this morning and got it on Amazon in Kindle form. It's called The Only Witness. And I want to show you the picture of the the front of it. The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin. And it is written by a friend and colleague, Guy Powell. I have known Guy for many, many years uh, through our Sunday school class that he led uh, for years. And when I heard he was writing this book, I was so happy because when I first heard, learned about the Shroud of Turin, as a Christian or try to be a Christian, a seeker, I'm more of a seeker. Christ. I was so thrilled. And it was many, many years ago that I learned about the Shroud of Turin. And then there were the debunkers. And I've got to tell you, I almost wished I hadn't heard what they said because I wanted very much to believe that the Shroud of Turin was real. Whether it is or isn't changes nothing about the resurrection. Now, apparently, the debunkers have been debunked. (laughs) What is the truth? With me is Guy Powell, author of The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin. Guy, I'm so happy to get to speak to you. Thank you so much, uh, Nancy. And uh, I really like your introduction uh, because uh, back in 1978 is when I really first learned about it. There was a, I can't remember if it was a Time or a Life magazine article. And mm-hmm. I said, wow, what's that? I'd never heard of that. And um, and that then kind of got me interested in it. And then when you talk about the debunkers, um, that was 1988 when a handful of scientists and laboratories did some radiocarbon testing on it. And they uh, they came out at the end and said that the the shroud is from dates from 1260 to 1390, and um, and then at that moment, then I you know I heard that and I said, oh my God, it's, it's fake, you know. And, Whoa, wait uh, just a minute, means- guy Powell. We don't say OMG on NG. Ah, okay, thank you. So um, so in any way, in any case, the. Um, 
the the they they said the shroud is fake. It was they said they flogged it. They faked it. And oh wait, um, just stop and, right there. You, you, have you ever seen those movies where there's like an evangelical pastor, and you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes when I say pastor. And they're healing people and they turn out to be a big fraud. Or when you hear about a, a pastor or a preacher that is like cheated on his wife. And I say he is. There are female pastors. In fact, our church is about to get a female pastor. Um, uh, they cheat on the wife and uh, with all, all these ladies. Um, I remember a case I covered uh, at Court TV. It was the case of Rabbi Fred Newlander. And he was a renowned rabbi. I believe he was in, hey, Sid, could you look up? I think he was in Cherry Hill, anywhere somewhere really rich, where all the rich people are. And this very, very Tony synagogue. Cheating, cheating. Oh, Cherry Hill. Okay, yeah. (laughs) And, um... I'm getting there. Wait a minute. You know you know how I go off in tangents sometimes. Um, so he killed his wife, long story short. And mm. I remember listening to his son speaking. You know, when something to do with our Judeo-Christian heritage is debunked or they take a chink in the armor I just feel like it's fodder for naysayers. And when I heard the Shroud of Turin was a fake, I'm like, oh, mm, that's a black eye. That's a, another black eye for us. And I mean, so I was very, I was disappointed when I heard that. Um, you know, just as when right. anything to do with our beliefs, or even when our government, for Pete's sake, when you find out that there has been some sort of wrongdoing in the highest arena within our government, it's, it's a kick in the teeth. Or when I hear about a cop, a dirty cop, have, coming from L.A. law enforcement, I take it really personally. So this means a lot to me, Guy. Now, you're saying that when you heard about the Shroud of Turin back in the 70s. Okay. Pick it up from there. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So there was a, a group of scientists that went over, and their primary purpose was to determine what made that image on there. And uh, the team was made up of uh, uh, religious folks, so uh, Protestants and uh, Catholics. It had a couple of Jews on there, and it had a couple of atheists. And when they got done studying the shroud of 120 consecutive hours over five days straight, all of them came back and they said, uh, this is not a painting. It is not dyed. It is not stained. It is something that they have never seen before, that it is not, uh, you know, probably or most likely not created by the hands of man. Okay, and, wait a minute. Uh, not, and that was kind of their conclusion. Now, uh, let me understand. So this is the group that debunked the debunkers. Well, this is actually, no, this is actually before that. And one of the tests that they wanted to run at that time, and they weren't allowed to, uh, was a radiocarbon dating. And the problem with radiocarbon dating... Like carbon-14, is that what you're saying? Carbon-14? That's exactly right. Uh, Radiocarbon dating using carbon-14. And the problem with that is that it is a destructive test. So you have to take a sample out of the shroud. 
you have to cut a sample out of the shroud. And it's like, you know, that's a, if this is truly the relic, uh, that is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ, you don't want to touch it. Um, and you don't want to cut anything out of it. And so it took another 10 years in 1988 when, uh, samples were actually cut, um, under a lot of scrutiny, but also, uh, done, cut incorrectly where they took those samples from was not agreed, was not the agreed on places. And, um, so they did the testing. And as I mentioned before, the results of that testing were that the date of the shroud, according to that test was 1260 to 1390. It's very difficult from my scientific background. I deal with DNA data, hard data every day. It's very hard for me to reject carbon-14 dating. Exactly, exactly. And so for probably 20 years, the research on the shroud kind of uh, fell apart. And, uh, you know, everything went dark. There wasn't really much done. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, depression about the, you know, hey, what are we doing now? This threat, it's, it's fake, and yet we don't know how that image was made this wonderful image of this man that clearly suffered was crucified. And then this cloth somehow picked up an image of that. And then it was only recently, and I don't remember exactly the uh, date now that the raw data that went into the carbon 14 testing, that the raw data was made public and it was, uh, it was made public by the, uh, the British Museum only at the, uh, at the urging and the constant urging by a handful of people. And in particular, one Tristan Costabianca. And he got the data and found out that they had, they had flogged it. They had flogged the data that they used. And there's some statistical tests that are done. And without getting into the details of that, they purpose, well, it is believed that they purposefully flogged the data using their word, and they did not follow the statistical um, rigor that would need to be done on the results that they got. And yet they published it anyway, and it's now, as that now is becoming coming to light, and, you know, here over the last few years, that uh, now this debunker, these three debunkers, these labs, uh, have now been debunked, and that one test that they did is, uh, is wrong. stories with Nancy Grace. So, mm-hmm. the debunkers come in, they see 14, carbon 14, the Shroud of Turin, and they say that the Shroud was created, I believe you said, what, the 1800, what, when did you say? Uh, 1260, 1260. 1260 to 1390. Yeah. Okay, and it's very, very difficult for me to reject well, I cannot reject the carbon-14 test because I know it to be true. You are now telling me, Guy, that the data used in the carbon-14 test was intentionally skewed to sh- prove falsely the Shroud of Turin was a fake. Uh, yes, exactly. So um, one of the things, when you get... Uh 
So what happens is that the carbon-14 test and the results from their test on the samples, and that's a critical word, on the samples that they took are most likely correct, that the date of those samples uh, actually range from somewhere between 12, you know, 1260 to 1390. The problem is twofold. The first one is where did they take those samples from on the shroud? Number one, normally what you would do is if you really, really wanted to do a, a, a pure scientific test, you would take a sample from one corner, from the middle, from the edge, another corner. You would take them all around uh, the whole cloth. You would not take them from exactly the same place. The second thing is uh, because they didn't do that, and that was the, that was the agreed on approach, and then all of a sudden uh, they decided not to do that. They took it from one spot. Well, the spot that they took it from had potentially two things wrong with it. First of all, when the shroud was displayed over the, uh, over the last two millennia, that is where uh, the shroud was held by the bishops and the senior church hierarchy when they actually wanted to display it to the public. So the grime on your hands, the oil on your hands would contaminate and Probably okay, contaminated wait. that spot where they took You it just from. said something I can connect to. Contaminate. Like contaminated DNA. Mm-hmm. So what I think you're saying, and of course I'm a JD, I'm no scientist, is that of course it is not the carbon-14 method that is in question because it simply is not. Just like evolution is not in question. That's the way it happened. Now, how you want to um, look at evolution through the filter of Adam and Eve, that's a whole other can of worms. But carbon-14 testing is not the problem here. The problem, as I understand you saying, is that the linen itself is very, very polluted, contaminated by, for instance, where it was kept how it was handled over all those years. Is that what you're saying? So the carbon-14 testing and pristine laboratory conditions would have been fine, but that the object, the shroud itself, was polluted? That is, uh, there's, and there's two or three uh, areas, but yes, that's the first one. Is that, Weren't traces uh, of fungus and calcium carbonate found? Uh, that's a different thing, but yes, there were traces of uh, calcium carbonate and uh, um, and other other dust that is only found in Jerusalem. And isn't and, it true uh, that certain was, uh, areas of the shroud were darned, in other words, repaired later on? And uh, yes, absolutely. And that's been the second dimension of why potentially the uh, the the carbon dating was wrong. In that that area where the shroud is held, uh, hundreds and maybe thousands of times, is that that area where they took that sample not only may have been uh, contaminated, but may have been repaired with modern material. Wow. You know, Guy, I remember when I heard, I read that the shroud of Turin was a fake. I remember that moment. Like, I remember where I was exactly when I found out Elvis Presley was killed. Or that, uh, you know, um, that the war in Ukraine had started. Just 
the or, the, or the OJ verdict or just the OJ Simpson verdict. So many moments in time you never forget. And I remember immediately running to David, to whom I'm now married, and saying, the Shroud of Turin is fake. And I was upset. Although I have absolutely no connection to the Shroud of Turin at all. And in my mind, whether it's real or not real, has no bearing on the truth of Christ's teachings. Correct. Absolutely. I've got to ask you something, Guy. Um, What led you to write The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin? Well, it's kind of funny. So so we had the the 78 research, we had the 1988 debunking, and uh, and then about, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, my brother sent me a book on the Shroud of Turin, and it was, uh, it was called uh, The Blood and the Shroud, The Blood and the Shroud by Ian Wilson. And I remember reading it, and it's a history book, and it's basically on 1356 this happened, and on 1357 this happened, and on 1358 this happened. And I go, there is no way. That sounds no terrible. Way, it, no way that, exactly, <laughs> no way that anybody. You lost me on 1358. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So then I said, you know what would be interesting? And I remember it very distinctly. It says, somebody ought to write this as a historical fiction. And that's exactly what I did. And I, and that's what the impetus for me was. I took all of those facts, um, you know, as they were laid out by Ian Wilson and many others, of course. And I said, you know, so how could we tell a story about something that is this significant and tell a story that other people would read and be able to then consume it and read it and learn about the Shroud and go, wow, look at that. This is uh, very interesting. Is the, you know, and then they can ask the question themselves as to whether the Shroud is authentic or not. And, um, but, and that's, that was really the genesis of me writing that book. And I remember was that weekend uh, when I read that, I said, I'm going to write the first chapter. And I wrote the first chapter. And um, and then it was 20 years before I actually started to really write it uh, when I uh, it, I had always wanted to write it. And then it was COVID. And I remember sitting here and I said, I need to finish that book. And I picked up what I had written and I started writing. And that's then where the, the, the book came from. stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, for those of you just joining us, I'm talking to a friend and colleague and also a uh, Amazon number one bestseller of another book. Um, completely different topic. Has written The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin. Guy Powell is with me. And, you know, guys... There are some people in the world that you take everything they say with a box of salt, as I like to say, not a grain of salt, but a box of salt. (laughs) Guy Powell is someone you would seek out for an opinion or advice or the true facts. And hearing you speak about your book, 
I mean, I, I, I got it this morning. Have you voiced it yet? Have you got an audio yet? Um, in the process of trying to figure Guy, that out, it's coming. I need it in an audio, <laughs> so when I go jog, haha, or walk, I can listen to it. But yes, you, I, I got it on Kindle this morning. So it struck you after reading one kind of a um, historical view of the shroud to write your own. First of all, what is a burial shroud? A lot of people are not familiar with a burial shroud. Yeah, exactly. So a a shroud is a a burial cloth. So it's a cloth that would be wrapped around somebody that had just died. And then you would be at, at, at certainly at the time of Christ. Um, then you would wrap the body in the, in this piece of cloth, and then you would bury that person in the tomb. And, uh, the, the, there's a couple of different pieces that might take place. The one is the cloth, the single piece of cloth that wraps from the, the back of the feet all the way up to the back of the head, over the face, and then down to the front of the feet. And that's what the, the, the shroud of Turin is. And then uh, possibly and very probably, then there was another uh, strip, a strip of linen that is wrapped around the body to hold that piece of cloth uh, on the body, uh, you know, it, it just to make sure that it just stays there and uh, stays together. And so there's, there's a couple of different met, uh, mentions of that in the, uh, in the book of John, of course, these linens and the strips of linens. And so that's where those two things come from. And this is then believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. In other words, this cloth, according to many believers, was there in the tomb as silent witness to the resurrection. Exactly. It is, and that's then where the title came from, it is the only witness. So it was there uh, during that moment of resurrection. So that's then um, believed to be what caused that image to be Im- imprinted onto that cloth. And, uh, and then the book, of course, is the only witness. It's a, it's a history. It's not the history. Nobody knows what, uh, what the history is. But it's a history, a plausible history of the Shroud of Turin as it progressed then from that day uh, on Golgotha and then in the tomb and then all the way up to where it is today in Turin, Italy. So was it thrown away and recovered? Was it revered as one of the most important relics in human existence? Uh, Guy takes facts and hypotheses to write a history of this cloth, this burial cloth of Christ, as it travels from Golgotha, where Christ was crucified in Jerusalem through the Roman Empire, through Byzantium, through Europe, and how this cloth protected for centuries lands in Turin, surviving fire, war, plague, floods, to become, to many, the single most valuable Christian relic, or not. You know, um, it strikes me 
guy as we're talking, how it is a miracle that, for instance, the Bible or the Torah, which is our Old Testament, even survived. But particularly the New Testament, because after Christ's crucifixion, <clears throat> Christians were, of course, persecuted. And it was more important to them to keep the faith. They would leave their homes, go live in caves, rather than denounce what they believed to be the truth. And it strikes me now, Guy, how blessed we are to be able to even talk, be able to even talk about the Shroud of Turin or the Bible, or the Torah. How they survived over all the years and were not destroyed. To me, that is a miracle in itself. But, you know, Guy, there are countries all around the world where Christians and others are persecuted, jailed, killed, even now because of their beliefs. And you and I can just take to the airwaves and talk about, is the Shroud of Turin real or is it a fake? It's, how blessed are we? Yes, uh, you are so right. When I think about those early Christians, um, the apostles, and then the early converts, and and then the Romans, uh, you know, destroying the temple in, uh, in early the first century, and then persecuting the Christians for another couple hundred years, how hard was it for them to be a Christian? How hard was it? And uh, and nowadays, to your point, here we are talking about uh, you know Christianity, talking about the Bible, talking about the uh, this miraculous, potentially miraculous relic, the Shroud of Turin. We are truly, truly blessed. You know, guys, just thinking about um, what I said at the beginning about seeking the teachings of Christ. Whenever I am a doubt like Thomas, and I'd, I'd like to remind everyone, when Thomas doubted, Christ did not reprimand him or kick him out. He wooed him. He loved him anyway. Whenever I have feelings of doubt, I think about those early Christians who would rather die than renounce their faith, or the disciples. Do you remember Peter would not even agree to be crucified? He thought it was too similar to the way Christ was killed. So he insisted he be crucified upside down. They would rather die than renounce. I hope and pray that you are correct that the Shroud of Turin is real. I cannot reject science, but I have faith. I can't wait to finish. I just got started this morning. The only witness, a history of the Shroud of Turin. And how long did it take you to write the book, Guy? Well, it was uh, from start to finish when I really got into it. It was uh, three years, three years. 
Wow. Guys, where, and, and where can everyone find it? The Only Witness, A History of the Shroud of Turin. Where can it be found? Well, definitely on Amazon. So today is the launch, uh, the first availability of the book on Kindle. It'll be a- available shortly in, uh, in print form on Amazon. It's available in, uh, it'll be available through any uh, bookstore. And uh, certainly hope to be have it available in uh, different Christian uh, bookstores. And then lastly, if you want to, you can also get it from my site, GuyPowell.com. And there you can sign up for the, the book, uh, also purchase the book, and learn even more about uh, the Shroud of Turin. This is a labor of love, and I really look forward to reading it. Guy Powell, thank you for being with us today. Nancy, thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. Bye, friend. <laughs>